I'm a big believer that the way you show up in anything is the way you show up in everything. Hey there, this is Bev. I'll be the host of People at Work today. This podcast is brought to you by Jostle, the creator of an employee intranet that is hoping to connect people to what matters to them in the workplace. And while we're thinking about building an incredible intranet, we're also thinking about what's actually happening in the world of work today. So we speak to leaders, academics, thinkers, practitioners, people on the front lines, people anywhere in a business that can help us understand what's really going on and what's actually making people have an incredible experience at work every day. Today, my guest is Jonathan Miller. Jonathan is the co-founder of Level 7 Leadership, where he works with social impact founders to develop their leadership skills with coaching and training so they can stay energized and aligned with their mission to create a world that works for all. His specialty is in the area of communication, where he has done extensive training in several modalities, including nonviolent communication, the Harvard Negotiation Project, and more. Today, Jonathan and I are going to talk about somatics and embodied leadership, which Jonathan considers the next frontier of leadership development. Welcome, Jonathan. It's amazing to have you here with us today. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you and I have gotten to know each other a bit over the past months. Uh, you were recently on our Conversations at Work series, which um, I was very grateful for your wisdom and, and uh insights that you contributed there. And, um, you know, I think we've just gotten to know each other and, and kind of realized that we've got, even though we come at the world from very different ways, um, we've got this common desire to understand what we can do to make people have a better time, uh, specifically at work and therefore beyond. So perhaps you can fill our, our listeners in on just, you know, how did you arrive at this, this interest that you have and um, just give us a bit of a background of who you are and what you're up to. I love that you said um, at work and beyond, because I'm a big believer that the way you show up in anything is the way you show up in everything. So although this conversation is going to be talking about the workplace, I mean, we are people at work, any of those shifts that we see in our perspective and um, transformations that we experience, um, you know, at work often has those ripple effects in the rest of our life as well. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. I'm really excited about that. Really, I mean, I have quite a story of how I got to all of this. And like a lot of stories, it's meandering. I'm going to save you the details. The one biggest part of the story um, that relates to the topic that we're actually speaking about today. So as you'd mentioned, my background is really around communication. That's kind of my bread and butter. And that was my initial foray into this space of leadership development. But really the crux came when I sat one of these 10-day silent meditation retreats. You heard of these meditation retreats, Beth? Yeah. So Absolutely, they're, they're... I, have, I haven't been brave enough to do one myself yet, but I'm very, very curious about them. Okay. Yeah. So I, 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 I mustered the courage, signed up for one. It was really hard. It was like, I was one of the hardest things I had done in my life to that point, most certainly. Um, and yet it was very profound. For years, I had been interested in this idea of mindfulness and meditation, you know, all the neuroscience was coming out saying it was good for you. And I remember, you know, being at work, I was a, I was a project manager at a really large food company in Canada. And I, I meditated just because, again, like I knew it was good for me. Like there was no real volition other than that. I'm like, I might as well. 
And when I sat this 10 day retreat, I had a profound understanding of what this made available to me in my life. Um, cause it wasn't just meditation. It was so much more. It was, it was a whole skill set that you could bring into your life. And that skill set, it goes back to this saying that I said, right at the beginning of the episode is the way you show up in anything is the way you show up in everything. And what I realized is through this meditation, Vipassana meditation, a lot of body scanning, just kind of going through your body part by part, piece by piece, and observing the sensations in the body, which we can talk a lot about what exactly I mean by sensations in the body. What I was doing is I was practicing in these 10 days to observe the sensations objectively, which by the way, is a very great skill to have in life to observe situations objectively, I would say. And when, after observing them objectively, to not react, to not react to them. So even, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm in my cross-legged position and I feel that little itch coming along. And so by just resisting a little bit longer than usual to scratch that itch, I'm essentially practicing this key skill. They call it in the practice equanimity, but it's, uh, it's, it's balance. It's non-reaction, right? And think about how many situations maybe Bev, you've been in where you reacted instead of thinking thoughtfully and responding. I know I have too many to count, right? And that's the practice. The practice is to not react. And then when that shows up, when I'm sitting down with my eyes closed, it also happens to show up when I'm in life and interacting with people, when I'm at home, when I'm at work. And it brings an incredible sense of um, peace and ease to be able to know that I can handle a lot of um, more difficult situations with um, what might occur for me as difficult people. So that first meditation retreat kind of set me on this path to better understanding what, what, what is it about this um, practice that's so profound? I've since then sat, you know, about a half dozen retreats. I met, I have a regular meditation practice and it's really opened me up to this field of somatics, which is really uh, a perception of the body from within. And, and we can talk a little bit more about, uh, but that, about that, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick pause here so that we can kind of regroup and see where we want to take this conversation. Well, I think you've brought us to a, a very good entry point, and thank you for sharing the the background of how you arrived in this in this place. Um, I first of all wanted to start by just helping our audience understand what is somatics and embodied leadership. So perhaps this is a good point for us just to clear up the definition and your understanding of it, so that we know the the context that we're starting from. So let's jump right in and go go that route if you if you're good with that. So somatics has a history, um, an intertwining history. It really started to emerge in like kind of the mid 1900s um, with some pioneers, Frederick Alexander, uh, Feldenkrais, Feldenkrais, uh, Rolfing, um, kind of around the human potential movement. It's starting to have a better understanding of the body and how it plays a role in the quality of our life. Um, and this came much before the embodied leadership movement, which we'll touch on afterwards. So somatics, the word is based on this, around this word soma. Soma is this Greek word. And it, and it really means um, the whole body, body, mind, and spirit. And the reason that that's significant is because I know for, at least for me, most of my life, I walked around like I, like Jonathan, I 
am here from the neck and up. Like that's where I live. And then this, this body of mine, this brain taxi, if you will, is like this machine that I like clean and I like feed it and I take care of it. But really it's like, it's all happening up here. And um, somatics is taking a look at, well, how does it, how is that actually maybe not entirely true? And it actually has a lot more to do with the body than we think. And this mind body connection is actually incredibly important. And so um, somatics um, was used a lot to, um, you know, in its origins was used a lot to um, for healing and for um, rehabilitation. Um, and then from that, um, uh, you know, emerged this idea of embodied leadership, which is where you get to take some of these principles of embodiment of getting in your body and using your body um, and applying them into leadership capacity. Now, why would we want to use the body in a leadership capacity? Well, what has been kind of discovered, and now there's just piles of neuroscience coming in to show, to demonstrate um, this, is that the body actually stores a lot of our habit patterns. The shape of your body, our posture, is very indicative and um, of how we perceive certain situations. You might notice that um, someone who's very uh, confident would stand very you know, proudly with their chest out, their chest open as if exposing their heart. And yet someone who's very timid might be very small, have their shoulders curled, um, their hands kind of like tucked inwards. They're very like physically small. And, you know, these, these um, things that happen as we go through our life, they're, they're actually literally stored in our body. A, a great example of this is um, an individual is telling me this story how he was in, he's in this community in the States and um, there was a mountain lion that kind of appeared on the outskirts. And they knew this because at first they started no noticing some farm animals disappearing. So some sheeps were disappearing. Um, and then eventually there were some dogs and cats disappearing. And the people in the town became very concerned about um, their kids and their safety as well. And he said, you know, I'm committed to, you know, solving this problem. We're going to take care of this problem. And so he ended up taking care of this problem and he came back to everyone and he said, Hey, listen, the problem is resolved. You're safe now. And, and, and he noticed before when they were talking from this place of fear, their shoulders were heightened. That's something that I know I do. And a lot of people do is when they get scared, their shoulders kind of tighten and stiffen. And so he said, everything is fine. They said, oh, good, great. And there, their shoulders just stayed right there, right up there. You can't see me right now, but my shoulders are kind of hiked up. And that is the body literally storing what it is experiencing in the world. And so this field of embodied leadership has really emerged as an experiential way to amplify one's leadership ability. You know, Leadership, I mean, a whole other conversation we could have that is like, what is leadership? Of right? course. That's, that's a, that, that, is a, that is a deep, dark hole because there's, there's no real agreed upon definitions of leadership. I mean, you can look one up in the dictionary, but everyone's got a different definition. You know, the Peter Drucker has a definition. You know, Bill Gates will tell you something different and the Harvard Business Review will have their own thing. Um, we kind of know what leadership is. We know what makes great quality a great leader is someone who have integrity, accountability, commitment, clarity, persistence, all that kind of stuff. 
But when it comes to leadership, um, what, what's really important to remember, at least this kind of, this is my own discovery as well. I'm kind of veering off topic here. We'll get back is leadership is a way of being. It is not based on a position or authority or rank. And I know Bev, you're, you're kind of in the HR space and maybe some of our listeners here in the HR space. I mean, one of the biggest, one big, not maybe one of the biggest, but one big challenge that people deal with in the space is, is managers not having managerial skills, right? They're promoted based on their technical abilities. They get into these manager roles and they're actually not equipped to be leaders, right? They haven't necessarily learned that skill set. Um, and it's because it's really a way of being. It's a way you show up. It's a vibe you give off. And so when you come from a way of, if leadership is a way of being, it actually comes from self-cultivation. You have to self-cultivate these qualities that a leader has. And where this ties in with somatics is that there's, um, you know, pioneers who have been doing this for decades now, and only now it's becoming mainstream, slowly becoming mainstream where they're realizing that if you not only have like coaching and training development, there's lots of great leadership training development programs out there but actually starting to use the body as well as a way to learn more experientially, you see more faster and lasting results in who the person is being as a leader. So I wanna, I wanna take a stop there because I introduced a lot of different things. I wanna check in with you, Bev, kind of what you're taking away from this conversation so far and, and where you wanna take it from here. Yeah, you've you've kicked off a, a number of things that I, I I need to pull on, and uh, I know that we're not going to get to cover it all. So I'm going to prioritize my my inquiry. <laughs> um, so I think that one of the most um, pronounced topics that you raised here is just this emphasis on the whole body, and I I feel like that really aligns with my view of leadership around um, the whole person approach, where you. And by whole person, I mean you arrive at work and you don't check some of the stuff that's the rest of your life at the door when you walk into the door at work, right? Similarly, um, you don't just take your brain into work. You take your your hands and your feet and your heart and your stomach, which turns over when you know you're going to have a, a tough conversation or your heart is beating fast when you're about to have conflict with somebody. So we bring this whole body whether we like it or not and what i'm hearing from you is that through somatics um, we can start to understand how we can not only control those those um, biological processes but we can actually use them to form our leadership style and the presence that we have as leaders in practice because after all um, a lot of behavior is actually physically demonstrated, right? It's not just through words. Um, that can obviously have an impact on the tone you use and the words you choose. That obviously is part of your leadership style. But your physical presence is equally important in your leadership style. So that's that's the one thing um, that I'm, I'm hearing from you. Um, very interesting to hear you talk about this idea that um, leadership is is stored in our body. It's 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 present in our body, right? And I think um, if if we can perhaps start to dig into that a little bit today, I think that'll be very interesting for us to be able to give some practical advice and ideas for our listeners to take away and and start practicing themselves. So, um, but before we get to that, I, I wanted to ask you something around. When we're physically in a situation, um, 
at the very primal sort of level, we are governed by fight or flight, right? So how does that process tie into the behaviors that manifest even in a workplace setting? Like what is, does that have anything to do with somatics? Because I feel like we've got some intrinsic things that are happening, whether we like it or not, that's going to tell us how we're going to behave in a certain situation. So um, so those are the two big things I'd love to, to probe. So um, the embodied leadership piece, and then how do we control some of these sort of reactional things that are happening? And maybe those two things are related. So I'll hand it back to you to maybe pull those two bits apart. So we've all heard of this term, emotional intelligence, right? That's been, it was popularized in the 80s by Daniel Goleman and company. And I mean, we also know from the data is very clear that those who have high emotional intelligence are more successful not just in their careers, but all over life. They're more satisfied with life. They're fe- they feel more fulfilled. So emotional intelligence, to be clear exactly what it is, is the ability to be aware of and manage your own moods and then take action on your own behalf. So it's really about self-regulation. Then Daniel Goleman, um, doing, you know, doing great stuff, came out with this idea of social intelligence. And that's about relying on those same skills of awareness and action, and but as applied to others. So it's accurately picking up on others' emotions, um, which can be really challenging. Um, and uh, we're not going to go, that's a, whole, that's a whole pipeline of the new science of emotions emerging. If anyone wants to check out an amazing book on that, it's called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Um, some amazing stuff um, blazing the way to how we, um, how we understand emotions. But anyway, social intelligence is really just about picking up others' emotions and relying on those understandings to, again, skillfully take action um, you know, as a group. So you have emotional intelligence, social intelligence. Now, one thing that always came up for me, which is why the somatics thing was huge, is I always wondered, like, how do you get better at emotional intelligence? Right? There are some courses, so I'm sure you can take some courses, learn about emotional intelligence. You know, you've got the five major pillars, you got like those who are empathetic and motivated and da-da-da, all those things, right? But what are the actual practices, daily practices that I can do every day to really increase my EQ? That's what I'm interested in, right? Because if 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 my success is dependent on my emotional intelligence, I want to max that thing as much as possible. And the thing is, is that um, until I really understand this, that insti- uh, sorry, understood this world of embodied leadership, it was very uh, conceptual for me. So I do a lot of coaching, uh, and that's a great place to start for increasing your emotional intelligence. You know, having a coach, talking things through, having insights, acting on those insights can really produce some incredible results. But my experience is that it does fall a little bit short. And that's where this somatic intelligence comes in. And somatic intelligence is the ability to discern these more subtle nuances between different bodily states, different moods, um, even thought patterns that manifest in the body. Because whenever you have a thought, there's there's an equal kind of sensation that happens inside the body. These sensations that are called interoceptive sensations. We can dive into that in a little bit. Um, and really responding effectively to those nuances. And it's actually this somatic intelligence, understanding the body, it, the, this is the underpinning of emotional and social intelligence, okay? Understanding you know, that um, 
when you when th- when you have that extra perspective so you're not only reading you know what it is that you're seeing on their face and their body language listening to their words but you're also tapping into what your body is telling you about the situation is really going to make a massive difference in being able to regulate your emotions and respond effectively to their emotions so let's go back to your example of this whole fight or flight thing right fight or flight that's like a huge thing we're constantly contending with this because our brain is like scanning for threats and any any threat to us not not even physical threats even just psychological threats sets off the system and that's when we you know typically i know i start making poor decisions right so the being aware of how that sensation feels in your body and being grounded and centered in that will allow you to be like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, less reactive to that situation. And it, it almost like it provides a space. So I'm going to think of an example. You know, you could be talking to a colleague and, um, you know, one tough thing in the office is getting feedback, right? Imagine you're at a, a brainstorming session, you put forth an idea and it kind of gets shut down. Now in that moment, I don't know about you, but I'd feel, start feeling pretty bad about myself. I'd start making it mean a bunch of things about me. Um, and I, I might feel a little bit defensive, right? And that defensiveness, that's that fight or flight response because I don't feel safe. There's this threat, this psychological threat to my identity. And I'm in that situation when I'm in fight or flight, literally like my sight tightens. I I see less, but I also have less options available to me on how to respond. And I'm more likely going to say and react in ways that are not aligned to me and my values than otherwise. However, with this somatic intelligence, I have this ability to notice, oh, you know what? I'm like, I'm feeling a little defensive right now. There's like an intense contracting in my chest right now. I can see, I can literally look down and see that my fists are balled up. And personally, Bev, when I get defensive, um, as my wife has has pointed out, my jaw (laughs) tightens. And that like my brows go up. So I get like, it's like, there's like a hardening that happens. And simply by being aware of that, I can make different choices about how I react in a situation. So the managing a fight or flight response becomes much, much more easy in a situation where you're aware of all these subtle nuances in your body. And at the same time, on the flip side, we talked about embodied leadership. Maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever had it where like somebody walks in a room and you're like, wow, that person, that's them embodying something, right? That's when you literally walk in a room and you're embodying that leadership. That's what embodied leadership is. Like you're embodied. It. It's just like who you are. It's like the way you're showing up. Um, so it can work on that flip side as well, being aware of kind of those sensations in your body, generating certain sensations in your body, having you show up differently and people react to that way. You're, you're able to kind of influence them in that way as well. So that's kind of the, the two sides of it as per, um, what it is that you shared earlier. So how does that connect into self-esteem and self-awareness? So for self-esteem, um, I'm not 100% sure exactly how it connects. Um, there's nothing coming to me right now for that. So uh, I'm not a 100%. And um, the only thing I could say about self-esteem is typically self-esteem is tied to confidence, 
um, and is tied to um, one's understanding of their own ability to be able to handle difficult situations. And the more you're able to be in those difficult situations, I think a natural um, process would be that you would start to boost your self-esteem knowing that you can handle those situations. So that's my thoughts on the self-esteem though. I'm not an expert in that. Um, when it comes to self-awareness though, I mean, this is all a kind, of, kind of par for the course. It's all kind of related, right? Mm -hmm. When you, you know, self-awareness is being aware of the self and the self is being aware of what's going on in your body. Cause you're going to, you're going to react to these sensations, these interoceptive sensations. You know, we spend a lot of time focused on what's called the exteroceptive sensations. Those are your sight, your smell, taste, touch, what you hear. But interoceptive sensations, this is what's going on in your heart, your gut, your lungs, on your skin, the, the fascia, the connective tissue. There are sensations running through your body all the time from the moment you're born until the moment you die. They're part of what's called an intrinsic network, which is a network that's always actually running. Your brain is always running it, even when you sleep. And you're actually not aware of these sensations because they're happening all the time. If we were aware of all the sensations happening in our body all the time, I think we would go a little bit crazy. So the brain was very smart and the brain lowered the knob a little bit. So we would, you know, numb it out just a little bit more. And mostly we're aware of more gross sensations like a pang of hunger in my stomach or when I really need to go to the bathroom, I might feel some pressure around, you know, where my bladder might be. And then after I go to the bathroom, I might feel like a sense of relief around where my bladder might be. Um, those are the ones that I'm, you're maybe more familiar with, but there's actually much more subtle ones. And any emotion you experience um, are tied to those same sensations and becoming more and more familiar with them. And the term is, by the way, emotional granularity. The more familiar you can become with that, um, the more able you are to respond effectively. So understanding yourself, your sensations, and just typical thought patterns all kind of plays into this, this idea of increasing your self-awareness. Does that answer your question um, in any way? Absolutely. On both counts. Thank you. And I'd like to take um, the self-awareness piece a bit further and taking us back to what we were talking about in the beginning around the state of equanimity and the um, resistance to respond. Is it true that as you become more um, somatically aware or aware of what's going on in your body and the processes that are happening that are these biomechanical things that are happening without you even knowing it, um, you're actually able to get better at responding um, or um, lengthening the time between which you actually are noticing and reacting to stimulus. Is, is that true? That's, that's precisely it. And there's a Viktor Frankl quote um, that has to do with that as well. Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning. If you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. Um, but he talks about that space between stimulus and response. And really the practice of equanimity, the practice of non-reaction, that is extending that gap between a stimulus and a response. So I want to give you an example of, I'm not thinking of the quote by Viktor Frankl, but I want to give you an example of um, a situation where um, that was really real, real for me. And I was able to react in a way that I was very satisfied with. 
my sister, um, I, I was, uh, I had just come back from this like long trip. And so, uh, my partner and I, we were living with my mom just till we got our kind of our, our ground. And at the same time, my sister, um, who lives in New Zealand, uh, was coming home to visit. Now I hadn't seen my sister in a number of years. Um, we don't, we know we butt heads from time to time. We have like a history and we generally get along pretty well. That said, um, she doesn't occur for, to me as the easiest person to, to, to get along with. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm living in this wonderful household. It's me. It's my partner. We got my mom. We're all getting along really well. Lots of fun and cooperation and teamwork. And it's just this great atmosphere. And now we have a new guest that's staying with us for six weeks and we have different, um, you know, lifestyles we like to live. We have different, um, cleanliness patterns, we'll call them. <laughs> and so I was concerned leading up to the time where she arrived. And, uh, the, you know, it was on my mind that the only thing that was on my mind for like weeks in advance was like, you know what, when she comes, we're just, I'm going to have a conversation. We're going to lay down some ground rules. That's what we're going to do. You know, I'm all about creating clear agreements and expectations so that there's no messing around. Yeah, this is going to be great. So fast forward, she arrives. Um, I happened to call her. I was out. I wanted to call her to check that, you know, the dog was okay or whatever it is. I call her. Hey, you know, how's it going? Oh, it's so good to hear you. Um, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to see you later. I just want to know, um, did you, did you let the dog out? No. Uh, oh, you did. Okay, great. Okay, cool. Well, I'll see you later. Click. Oh, oh. And also, by the way, I really want to talk to you about setting some, setting some rules for like your time here. Okay, cool. Great. See ya. Click. I'm like, okay, good. I set the stage and we're going to talk about it. This is great. I get home and it's just me and my sister. I say, Hey, you know, we hug, start chit chatting. How's the flight? Da, da, da. And I remember I was sitting, I was standing in the kitchen. She was sitting at the kitchen table and about five or 10 minutes into the conversation, I said, Hey, listen, I'm super keen to talk to you about setting some expectations, some, some groundwork. Cause I really want us to have like a great time here and um, setting some rules around it. And um, she did not like that. In fact, she had a lot to share about that because she was really upset about the fact that when I called her, instead of like waiting to talk about that, I talked about it right away because it was on my mind. So I really was excited to share it. And for her, that that did not suit her. She, she did not want to hear that first. She wanted to just kind of exchange some some hellos and stuff like that before we dived into that. And at this moment, I can remember when she, she was there. Now this is someone I have a long history with as well. Right. And I just, I was, I was standing in there and I could feel my heart pounding through my chest and the palms of my hands were sweating and my hands were shaking a little bit as well. And this is like classic fight or flight mode. Like I was in this mode. And so when she finished talking at first, what would have happened in the past, what probably would have happened is I would have reacted by either defending myself or pointing my finger at her. And instead, in this amazing, incredible moment of sanity and clarity is I said, oh, what else? That's what I said. I said, what else? And then she had more to say, oh, she shared a whole bunch more things. And then I managed to, so what you're trying to say is, and I recapped what you said, anything else? And she said a whole other thing. And then I repeated what I heard her say again, anything else? 
She said, no, that's it. And I said, okay, you know, I get that you're really upset. And, you know, um, I really apologize for, you know, having that be your welcome back. Um, that was definitely not my intention, da, 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 and so on. And, you know, we were still both rattled up after that interaction, no doubt, you know, the, the fight or flight mode kind of releases all sorts of, you know, hormones and chemicals in our body. So it was still kind of resonant, but at the end of the day, considering how that could have gone and having that moment to respond in a way that actually resolved the situation really well, um, that's, that's a miracle. So that's uh, kind of one of those examples of that whole stimulus response, really playing and a really real example for me. Well, I, I hope that uh, the six weeks with your sister ended up being an enjoyable experience rather than <laughs> something <laughs> fraught with conflict. <laughs> but Jonathan, I guess what I'd like to ask you is, so not all of us are going to have the benefit of half a dozen meditation retreats and spend our lives dedicated to understanding how to get better control over our bodies and our minds and make them work together. So perhaps we could end our conversation here today with just one or two practical ideas or, or thoughts that you might have for each of us to practice today to help us get to a place of, of more control over our whole body and how present we are, whether we're at work or at home or anywhere that we show up every day. Absolutely. And um, what's really wonderful about um, all this is that I am going to share like a quick practice. And um, this is stuff you don't have to sit meditation retreats and still you can make some solid gains. And I'm, I'm really excited to share those with you. To preface that, I mean, listen, the reason this is important is because if um, you, Bev, or our listeners are really actually committed to being more emotionally and socially intelligent, this is your direct access to that. No question about it. And, um, you know, in terms of bringing this into the workplace, I mean, absolutely. Emotional intelligence has been around for decades. Everyone wants to be emotion more emotionally intelligent. I mean, this is, this is the way to do it, is a really tapping into the nuances of the body. And like I said, we're not going to have time right now. We're, we can share some resources at the end of this episode. Um, but the neuroscience is just stacking up that this is, in fact, like uh, the real deal, you know? Um, and lastly, one of the, my favorite things about using the body is that for a long time, we had this idea that, you know, we are either a visual auditory or a kinesthetic learner. Well, that that's all, that's all junk science. And, you know, my experience and like the, and the experience of many others is that we learn best through direct experience. That's how we learn best. We learn by doing, I mean, who here doesn't learn best by doing that's just you know, whether you're new to a job or a position, it's just about getting in there and giving it a go. And what's great about this kind of stuff is that you're literally experiencing in your body, you're doing the, the self-awareness work to raise your emotional, emotional intelligence. So let's talk about some practices here. The first thing that's worth asking is really um, checking in with yourself and asking, well, what relationship do you have with your body? Do you have any idea what your relationship is with your body? Are you keeping a great shape? Are you exercising a lot? Maybe not. Now, exercise isn't necessarily a key to embodiment. You want to bring awareness to your body um, during or after or before you exercise. That's kind of the key. But first, get clear on what is your relationship to your body. Do you really see yourself as a whole or is it separate from you? 
And what practices do you have to deepen your relationship with your body? Maybe it is those exercises. How do you apply some of those practices? Are you already meditating? That's great. Okay. So those are kind of like the first questions that I want to ask. The next thing to do is actually think about ways that you can start integrating awareness of your body. So it's really simple. If anyone's sitting down right now, um, you can just feel your feet, feel the soles of your feet on the ground. Feel the whole sole of your feet, feel how the earth is pulling you down and yet supporting you at the same time. Maybe you're sitting down as well and you're, you can feel maybe your bottom or your lower back being supported. Just feel that. And in that moment of bringing awareness to that, you are practicing body awareness. You're becoming more aware of your body and the sensations happening in your body. So it's really a simple practice of checking inward. And you can do that at any time. You can always check your feet. When you're sitting in your chair, you can always check your chair. Um, you know, especially after a workout, great time is, you know, you got the endorphins flowing, you know, that post-workout high. Just before you turn the keys on to your car and drive away from the gym or, you know, the soccer game or whatever it is, just take like 10 seconds and like notice all the sensations rolling through your body. It's really easy because your, your body is very activated. And just observe, notice the sensations. It doesn't matter the good or bad. Don't have any thoughts about it. As long as you're putting your awareness on it, you're increasing your somatic intelligence in that moment. And then lastly, I would suggest is you can probably find some guided meditations online as well, um, specifically body scans, um, any sort of body related ones. They don't have to be long, even just five minutes. It's totally cool. Just go through your body part by part, piece by piece, and just observe what's there without making any judgment, without worrying or having to change anything. Just notice what's there and bringing that awareness over a long extended period of time, even that little bit is going to make a massive difference in raising your somatic intelligence, ultimately raising your emotional intelligence, having you respond more often instead of reacting blindly, and ultimately feeds into you being a, a more embodied, more clear, more powerful, more integral leader that is taking actions that are aligned to your commitments to do what it is that you want to create with the world. So those are just some some practices in, in my little poetic finish there. Well, I love how you brought us back to the uh, the role of leaders and the the you know the the importance of leaders being in control of their um, full bodies and minds, right? Because leaders influence and impact so many people during their day to day. And and let's be clear, when we're saying leaders, I mean anyone can show up as a leader, right? So that's right. Um, each of us as individuals needs to do whatever we can to. Um, bring the best of ourselves at every moment and be able to cope with the things and be resilient around the things that are not going so well for us. So um, thank you very much for giving us those three ideas of things that people can think about. Uh, I know for myself, I struggle constantly with my meditation practice, but I am, um, I'm committed to it <laughs> and I see the benefit of it. And I really agree with you around the the observation and the awareness of what's going on in your body isn't something that necessarily comes naturally but we can train ourselves to do it right and it's once you start doing it it, it gets a little bit easier every time so it does yeah 
so thank you very much for sharing that with us today. For now, we'll have to wrap up. I, I will share your contact information in our show notes, but is there a particular way you'd prefer people to reach out to you if they wish to carry on the conversation with you? Yeah, I mean, my website's a great place. You can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Jonathan Miller, which is super, super common. So maybe Bev will include that in the show notes. I sure will. And I also, yep. I also did mention a resource, um, one, one book that I read lately um, that I would highly recommend. It's called Your Body is Your Brain by Amanda Blake. Uh, just a great resource, chock full of awesome neuroscience. Um, and the book came out in 2019. So it's just still really relevant. It's a fantastic read to really solidify your understanding and hopefully um, some excitement around actually taking on the practices because as much as we read, as much as we know, it doesn't really make a difference until we actually practice. 100%. And um, you know, I think what's fascinating for me is that we operate within these mysteries, right? A lot of what, what our bodies do and how our brains function is unknown. Um, but how lucky we are to be able to explore and learn about ourselves and see us develop as individuals. And every resource we have, we should grab onto and learn more and more about these wonderful bodies and minds that we have. So thanks for, for giving the listeners and myself lots to think about here today and, and also for sharing the resources. Thanks for having me on, Bev. Take care, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Thank you.